Mark chapter 1, and continuing our series on service. And I tell you, you know, every once in a while when you're studying the Bible, you'll come across some things that you never noticed. And it might not be a big deal. I'm going to share something with you tonight at the end of this message that the Lord showed me that I just never really noticed before. I never really thought about it a whole lot. And it was just, it was exciting to me. And hopefully it'll be exciting to you. You might have noticed this a long time ago, but you know, if you did, don't say anything. Let me think that I was the first one to discover this and came up with it. But, um, you know, the truth is, uh, you know, there is nothing, if I give you something that's supposedly new from the Bible, you probably want to run. As they say, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. That's a good thing, a very good statement to live by there. But Mark chapter 1 tonight, last week we talked about Jesus' example. Talked about the example that He set. Jesus Christ has not asked us to do anything that He was not willing to do or that He did not do. He set the example. He showed us how to do it. If we're going to be good servants, if we're going to be good servants of God, we've got to do that exact same thing. We've got to set the example. We've got to show people. You've got to set the example in your family. You need to set the example with your coworkers. We need to set the example as church members and as Christians to maybe a newer Christian. We've got to be the ones to set that example if we're going to get them doing what they're supposed to do. And then today, though, we're going to look at Jesus' leadership. We're going to look at His leadership. Part of being a servant is being a leader. A lot of times we think about the servant as a follower, but the truth is, Jesus Christ was the greatest leader that there ever was, and Jesus Christ was a servant. He set the example. He tried to teach His disciples who were the greatest by some of the greatest leaders. The Bible says they turned the world upside down. And the way they, the reason they were such great leaders is because they were great servants. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when they had gone a little farther thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. I want you to notice in the story here the calling of Jesus' disciples. If we're going to be effective servants of God, we've got to be recruiting more servants so we can get more accomplished. I touched on this a little bit last week, but I want to focus a lot more on tonight because there's some really interesting things here that I came across while studying. But if we're going to be able to recruit people, then it's important that we are effective leaders. That we are the type of people that others are going to want to follow after. And notice in the story how Jesus, He just comes to these guys and He says, hey, follow Me. And I'll have you become fishers of men. And the Bible says straightway they left their nets and they followed Him. And I mean, when they left their nets, basically what these guys were doing 
was they were leaving their occupation. Can you imagine if I was to come along and I was to say, you know, Brother Menez, why don't you come follow me in evangelism? And he's like, okay. Tells his boss, hey, see you later. I'm leaving. I'm going. In, I'm going into evangelism, or I'm going to become. I'm going to be. I'm going to be a missionary. I mean, he just he just leaves it all behind, not knowing what's there in the future. And you think, well, you know, and I'm not saying, and I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't ask you that. Only only God can ask that of you. But Jesus, notice how he just asks them this, and they just boom, let's go. And you know, when I've read that story before, I thought, man, that's just crazy. Only Jesus could get somebody to follow him like that. But the truth is, there was a lot more that had gone on than just Jesus coming by and asking them. And we'll see that a little later on. But part of what we need to do as Christians is we need to be trying to recruit people to follow Christ. We need to try to recruit people in a sense to follow us. And with the goal of eventually them following Christ. And we're going to get more into that in a little bit, but we've got to be recruiting others to follow Jesus. The more we recruit, the more that gets accomplished. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8. I want to read this passage to you. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 8. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. Yet is there, uh, there is no end of all his labor, neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, For whom do I labor, and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. Talk about somebody that's just by themselves. I mean, you can go and if you decide, you know what, if, you, if your goal is to get rich, you know the best way to get rich? Make sure you stay alone. I wouldn't recommend getting married. I wouldn't recommend having kids. That's going to hurt your financial situation. But you know what? There's no fulfillment there. There's nothing. It's never going to end. You're never going to have enough. And you're always going to be alone. It will be nothing but vanity, it says here in this passage. You see how it's very sad to be alone. And then it goes on in verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. What I mean, Part of that reward, I believe, it's each other. And then it says, For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? I remember watching a documentary one time on the battle, I believe it was the Battle of the Bulge. And they were interviewing these men that were there, that fought in that battle. And they were talking about how they would. There was times that they were down in these foxholes for hours, and they'd be there all night, and it would get extremely cold. And these guys, what they would do is they they had this method that they used. I can't explain it exactly, where they would all kind of wrap their bodies together, and they would get heat from each other. And the truth is, those guys, if they would have been alone, they probably would have died in that foxhole. But just having somebody there close to them, it helped keep them alive. It probably saved their life. Verse 12 it says, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord 
is not quickly broken. When you get say just one by themselves can only accomplish so much. Two can do so much more. And that when, and that's why it's so important that we be recruiting people to help us in our in serving the Lord, to help us in serving this area and trying to get the gospel out and trying to be a blessing. The more that we recruit, the more that gets accomplished. There's strength in unity. Psalms 133 verse one says, "Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. As a church will be a strong church." When you're, you're, when we're united, when we're pulling together in the same direction, there's this something about that makes a lot of strength. There's only going to be problems with disagreement. Amos, uh, Amos chapter three, verse three. I want to read just a verse there. You don't need to turn there, but it says, "Can two walk together except they be agreed?" Have you ever seen a three-legged race before? Been a part of that? Alright, those are kind of fun to watch sometimes. Sometimes you'll have two people, you know, they'll go and they'll kind of put their arm around each other, and they'll go and they'll kind of be working together, and you know, they'll kind of be maybe be counting off. And boy, when they get working together, they can get going pretty fast. I mean, I've seen them where they're running. But then, you know, there's always going to be somebody in those races that they're just, they're not together. They're kind of thinking different things, and they're just—they're not moving very fast, and they're falling all over the place. And, that's, and usually, there's going to be a good wipeout in there, and it's always fun to watch. But you know what? That's—that's uh, that's how it is when you're not thinking the same way, when you're not in agreement. But boy, when when you we're thinking together as a church, when we're working together, when we have the same goals in mind, when we're working, when we're doing the same things, there's going to be a lot more accomplished. We're going to do a whole lot better, and that's why we want to be. Uh, we need to be recruiting people to follow this book and to love God's word and to love the Lord. When we have certain things in common, we're going to be able to do great things. And the truth is, if you're in a three-legged race and the finish line's that way, but maybe one's wanting to go that way and another one's wanting to go that way, you're going to have a problem, aren't you? Because you've got to be thinking the same way, and. Jesus, He called these disciples to come and to follow Him. And these people, they left what they were doing and they went and they followed Christ. Jesus, He recruited these people. He recruited the twelve disciples. And then notice though, one of the reasons Jesus was able to recruit people like He did was, I believe, the confidence in His mission. You know, the truth is, sometimes in our Christianity, we're not real confident in it. I mean, imagine if you were to go to somebody, hey, let me tell you how you can go to heaven. And then you're like, well, I'm pretty sure it's Jesus that you have to ask. You might be able to ask whoever you want as long as you know, you're know you sincere. I'm not real sure about that. Well, do you think people are going to listen to you as well? It might be good works though. I really don't know. You go and invite somebody to church. Hey, you need to come to Liberty Baptist Church. If you come... You might like it. I think the people will be friendly. I think the pastor will preach the truth. Hey, that's not going to be easy. I've heard people. I remember when we were when we first came to the area and started knocking on doors and inviting people to church. I had some folks telling me about their church that they go to, and the way they were talking about their church, I thought I would not want to go to that place. I mean, I heard I had one person say, "Yeah, our church, boy, it's just really going downhill." 
I don't know what's going to happen. And just, wow. I got kind of discouraged hearing about it. A few people did just tell me about their churches and people will complain about their pastor and complain about the people in their church. And then they'll go and invite you to it. It's like, why would I even want to do that? Why would I want to get involved in this mess that you're in? And But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus, notice what He did. And I'm not telling you to go out and, and say these things to people. But notice what Jesus did in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. He tells them to follow Him and it says immediately they left their nets and followed Him. Jesus told His disciples to give up their occupations. Okay, now... I know how I know how we think. Sometimes when we see these verses in the Bible and the things that Jesus asked people of, people will try to make excuses for Christ and say, "Well, Jesus doesn't really expect you to give up your occupation." Listen, I'm not telling anybody here to quit your job tomorrow. I'm not telling anybody to do that. I wouldn't do it. Only Jesus can do that. But Jesus did, though. He would ask people, "Give up your occupation." And he follow me. Jesus, he told his disciples to say goodbye to their families. Luke chapter nine, in verse fifty-seven, it says, "And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest." And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Well, that's pretty reasonable. Hey, Lord, can I at least go to my dad's funeral before I follow you? Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are home at my house. What's wrong with going and saying goodbye? I mean, surely the Lord understands me wanting to say goodbye to my family. Then Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, wait, now, and people will all try to make excuses for Jesus here and say, well, you know, Jesus was, he was trying to teach them that, you know, he needs to be the priority. And if they would have said, Lord, I'll follow you, Jesus probably would have said, alright, Great. But first, you know, go back and bury your father. First, go back and tell your family goodbye. Jesus would have told them to do that. Maybe he would have. But, let's keep looking at some of these things. Jesus also told his disciples to give away their possessions. Luke chapter 18, verse 22. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. The rich young ruler came and he wanted to follow Christ. He wanted to know what good thing he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And he said, Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow Me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. Boy, people like to make excuses. I believe that if Jesus, if this man would have said, I'll do it, Jesus would have given him back double. And you know what? Maybe he would have. Maybe he wouldn't have. We really don't know. But Jesus was so confident in what he was doing. He believed in it so much. He would tell people, give up your occupation. Say goodbye. Leave your families. Give away your possessions. In fact, Jesus even told his disciples to be willing to give up their lives. And you know what? As far as I know, every one of the disciples they were put to death 
for their faith with the exception, I believe, of John. And they tried with him. They boiled him in oil according to history, but it didn't kill him. And he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. But John chapter 20, verse 20, it says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the disciples heard that, boy, that, that upset them. It made them mad. But Jesus said, you know, I don't know if you're real sure what you're asking here. Because really what they were asking, if they were going to you know, follow Christ, it was going to eventually lead to them being put to death. Jesus Christ was put to death. He was crucified. James, I believe James and John's mother, if she would have known what she was asking, there is no way she would have asked that question. Because James was the first of the disciples to go. We read about his death in Acts. He was the first one to be put to death. John, he was the last one to die. But I guarantee you his mother wouldn't like the idea of him being boiled in oil, being exiled to the Isle of Patmos. I don't think she would have liked that. But you know what? Jesus went and He called those disciples knowing that it would eventually lead to their death. He knew what was going to happen. He knew He was eventually going to die. He knew they were going to suffer greatly. Jesus Christ, when He called the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, He knew all those things that Paul was going to go through. But Jesus had no problem asking this of people. You know why? Because Jesus also knew what was in store for them. Jesus knew what heaven was like. Jesus knew about the rewards in heaven. And while I would not be willing or able necessarily to ask somebody, give up your life for this cause, you know, give up your occupation, Jesus Christ has no problem doing that because he understands what's really important. He understands how what we have on this life is absolutely nothing. And how only what's eternal is what matters. And he had no and the confidence in his mission, he went and because of that, people followed him. And I'm not saying that we need to go around and tell people give up your occupation, give up your you know, say goodbye to your families, give up your possessions, give up your life. But boy, if we're gonna get people to follow Christ, we need to be confident in the mission that we're on. We need to be confident that we are in the right church, that we are preaching the true Gospel of Christ, that we that what we're doing is worth giving up your life for. The things that we believe in are worth dying for. Thank the Lord that in our country today, we are not being put to death for our faith. But that day may come in the near future. I believe it eventually is going to come. And if that day comes while I'm still alive, I need to make sure that I'm willing to set the example that I'm willing to be the leader and that I'm willing to go and have my head cut off or be put to death however they want to do it because what we are doing is worth dying for. And we need to make sure we show that confidence. Otherwise, nobody we're not going to be able to get anybody to follow Christ. 
We're not going to be able to get anybody to serve Christ. Sometimes I've heard preachers, boy, they'll get up and they'll just talk about how hard it is to serve the Lord. Oh, you don't understand you know, just the burdens of being a pastor and just how difficult it is and all the suffering that we go through. And you know what? Even if that statement is true, and it may be, you think God's not going to take care of you for it in heaven? You think, you know, we sing that song, it will be worth it all when we see Christ. Do you, do you not believe that or something? Why are you doing, what are you doing going around trying to get sympathy? Listen, that's not going to get people to want to serve Christ. Now, I don't believe we ought to go telling people, hey, you serve Christ, your life's going to be great, it's going to be wonderful, you're never going to have any problems. There's never going to be any challenges, you're never, I'm not, we're not supposed to say that either. But what we ought to do is when, even when we're going through the hard times, we ought to be showing people the confidence in our mission. That hey, that this is, it's not going to just be worth it all when we see Christ. It's worth it all right now. The suffering for Christ. Hey, this is, this is nothing. It's worth it. He's worthy. I'm not, I'm not worthy to even be suffering for the cause of Christ. Listen, that's, I believe, what caused the revival during the, during the early church time, even while they were being put to death, these people are so confident they're going to be burned at the stake and they're preaching all the way to the end. They're singing as they're being fed to the lions. And these people, they're watching this happen and they're seeing these folks that are dying for their faith and they're saying, you know what? These folks have something that I don't have. I want what they have. And many people turn to Christ as a result of that. Because these people, they were so confident. I can't, I mean, I can't even imagine what it must have been like. These whole families who would be fed to the lions as a father, taking my kids and, and telling them, hey, we're better off being burnt at the stake. We're better off being eaten by lions than listening to these Romans and renouncing Christ. You know, I imagine a lot of them fathers, they could have said, they could have told their kids, hey, don't do this. And they probably wouldn't have done it. But they, those children, those wives, those kids following their fathers, it resulted in them dying. But those fathers knew that, hey, this is worth it. It's okay. You know, it's one thing when, you know, it's one thing to give up your own life. It's one thing to make a personal sacrifice. But it's a, it's a much more difficult choice when you ask your family to make a sacrifice. That's not, that's not an easy choice. But when you know that it's the will of God, when you know that God's going to take care of you and that it's worth it, you're able to do those things. You're able to say, hey, listen, you can tell your wife, you can tell your kids, hey, follow me in this. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be okay. God is going to take care of it. Take care of us. You've got to be confident in your mission. And Jesus Christ was. And Jesus Christ, He did. He went and He recruited those 12 disciples. And those 12 disciples turn the world upside down. The people that are being saved today, the churches that are being started today, it's all a result of what was started with those 12 disciples and it's continued. But I want you to notice here, now I want us to go back and I want to show you something that I, that I noticed that the Lord showed me that just it really blessed my heart. Notice the cause of Jesus' success. Notice how He just went to these guys and He said, follow me. And they just, okay. And they get up and they follow Christ. I mean, Matthew, he was a tax collector. And Jesus, why would you go to a tax collector? I mean, me, if I'm going to try to recruit somebody, I don't like IRS people. I'm not going to the IRS people. I've only known personally one IRS worker and I didn't like him one bit. 
Didn't like him at all. And uh, just, but Jesus did. He went to the tax collector and he said, "Follow me." And he left what he was doing and he followed Christ. What got them to do that? Well, I believe there was a little more that went on than just Jesus coming by and asking. Something had been going on before that that had prepared them. And notice the pattern that Jesus used in His ministry. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1-3, through 3, Luke chapter 10, have you, whenever you read the stories about the miracles and things Jesus did, you know, it seems like when you read the Bible sometimes, Jesus would show up in a town and there was a multitude waiting for Him. And it's like, man, you know, what got that multitude there? Why were they so excited to see Jesus? He hasn't been there before. He just would show up there and there's a multitude waiting for Him. I thought when I came and started the church here at Rock Falls that there was going to be a multitude here waiting for me, but it didn't really happen like that. And there wasn't that multitude like there was for Christ. But look at what look at the pattern that Jesus used and I tell you, I think there's something to this. Uh, me and Brother Schaefer, we were talking about this the other day, and I think this is so important. It says, after these things, the Lord appointed others seventy also, and sent them two and two before His face into every city and place whither He Himself would come. Before Jesus would show up in a town, He would send two people out there, and they would start telling people about Jesus. They would tell people about the miracles he did. Sometimes they'd even do miracles themselves. And they, these guys, they wouldn't glorify themselves. They say, hey, this power it comes from Jesus Christ. Hey, he's going to be showing up here pretty soon. You think what we're doing is amazing? Wait till you see what he does. And Jesus would show up in town, and there was a multitude waiting. He sent his disciples out ahead of him to go and gather people together for these big services that he was going to have. And then verse two, therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Jesus had gotten the twelve disciples, but not just those twelve. There was another 70 also, and they were going to all the towns two by two, telling people about Jesus. And you know what? Jesus looked at that and you think, man, that would accomplish a whole lot. But Jesus said, we need a lot more than this. Boy, that harvest is punished. There's a lot of people out there that are ready to hear the gospel, that need to get saved, but we need more laborers. We need more servants. We need more people serving Christ. And he said, I send you as lambs among wolves. You get, you know, when the Lord sends somebody out, it's not always easy. Some of our missionaries, the things that they've gone through to the people that they've been trying to minister, the people they left their homes to go minister to have absolutely been horrible. The Johnston family are a great example of that. But you know, these people have also, I mean, they've won so many people to Christ. But Jesus would always do that. He would send them out to kind of prepare the people to receive His words. And notice where all this started. It all started with John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, verse 35, John verse 1, verse 35, before Jesus started His ministry, there was somebody that was prophesied in the Bible, in the book of Malachi, that was going to come and prepare the way for the Lord to make His path straight. Before Jesus was going to come, that He needed somebody to prepare the hearts of the people to serve Him. 
and to follow Him and to listen to Him. And that man was the man with the spirit of Elijah. A man named John the Baptist. And in John chapter 1, verse 35, it said, And the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted, Master. Where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And so they go, and what happened here, Peter, or James, or Andrew, I'm sorry, Andrew, before he became the disciple of Jesus, he was the disciple of John the Baptist. Andrew knew the Messiah was coming. He had been taught this by John the Baptist. John, he heard John the Baptist talking about him, and when John the Baptist pointed out the Messiah, you know what he, you know what Andrew did? He went and he left following John, and he went following after Christ. And Jesus asked him what he's looking for. He said, "We're looking for the Messiah." And he went and he told Peter, "Hey, we have found the Messiah." And so when Jesus did come along and he finally gave them the commission to come follow him, they knew exactly who it was. They knew what they were supposed to do. You know why? Somebody had prepared their hearts for it. They had been following somebody else who encouraged them to follow Christ. And it was John the Baptist. And we need to understand, and notice how, you know, sometimes as Baptists, one of the things that we do is we're all about recruiting people to come follow us and not follow Christ. And you know, maybe for a little while, people need to follow us, in a sense. Your children, they're going to need to follow you as a father. And as parents, they need to follow. They need to follow you. But we're supposed to train them ultimately to follow Christ. And you know, someday the day may come where you backslide on God, where you get away from God. And if you train them right during that time, they'll continue following after Christ. But so many times, we're all about getting people to follow us. And we've got to be telling others about Christ and the joys of serving Him, and the Lord might be using us to prepare their hearts for when the day in their life comes where the Holy Spirit shows up and says to them, follow Me. And hopefully, we will have helped them in a way where they'll make the right choice. Remember, we're recruiting them for Christ, not for ourselves. Notice John, one of his disciples. He leaves... I imagine if this was one of John's disciples... He was probably a big help to him. He was probably a big blessing to John. And then Andrew says, hey, it's time for me to follow Christ. And he leaves him. And notice in John chapter 3, verse 25, remember what we read in Luke 10 when Jesus called those 12 and the other 70? This is while John was in prison. Okay, John, the greatest man ever born of women, was in he ended up in prison shortly after Jesus started his ministry. You would think when Jesus started his ministry, the first disciple he would have called would have been John the Baptist. 
But in John chapter 3, verse 25, it says, there, then arose, there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Some of John's disciples looking like, all those people that were following you, John, are now following Christ. They're being baptized of Him. There were some of, in the book of Acts, there were some of John's disciples that had been baptized by John, and later they were baptized in the name of Christ. That's why people, there's people out there say, you've got to be able to trace your baptism you know, back to the baptism of John the Baptist. Well, they, the disciples didn't recognize the baptism of John the Baptist. They went and baptized these, those guys again in the name of Jesus Christ. And you've got to be able to trace it back to Jesus, not John the Baptist. But hey, that's, that's another sermon there. But it says, um, but the folks, they weren't following John anymore. They're following Christ. Now, what would happen with most of us? We would get upset. Y'all ought to be following me. I'm the one that taught you. I'm the one that trained you. I'm the one that brought you. I'm the one that brought you up in the Lord. But John didn't do it. He said, hey, a man can't receive anything except it came from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. John never claimed to be Christ. He said, I'm just here to prepare things for him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. John the Baptist looked and he said, I'm, he said, I'm, I'm excited. My joy is fulfilled right now. My job's done. I did what Christ wanted me to do. And then he makes a statement, He must increase, but I must decrease. Boy, I tell you, we've got to get that back in the Baptist church about increasing the name of Christ and decreasing our own name. It's real easy to get all about building an empire on our own names and just trying to make ourselves look good. But John the Baptist, he said, He must increase, I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all, and he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. John, he said, hey, there's somebody, he's, he's so far above me. He's way above what I'm doing. Listen, I'm sure John, he enjoyed that ministry he had. He enjoyed the followers and things that he had. But John understood that, hey, this was never about John the Baptist. This has always been about the Messiah. This has always been about Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist, he was willing to step aside and let Jesus Christ take over. And was willing to tell, say goodbye to his disciples who no longer were His disciples, but Christ's disciples. And if we are going to accomplish things for God, we need to be leading people to follow Christ. For a while, they're not going to have a whole lot of faith to where they uh, like they need. They're probably going to need to follow us for a little while. We're going to need to get people here in this church and there's going to be people, maybe some of you as church members, they're going to need to follow you. You maybe need to kind of take them under your wing a little bit and try to disciple them and try to help teach them. I want to do that with people. But ultimately, the goal is not about keeping them behind us and following us. 
It's about getting to the point where someday we say, we're alright, go follow Christ. And that may mean leading people away from this church. Listen, I, I want to have as many people here as possible. I hope you all go to church here forever. But at the same time, if the Lord calls you to something else, and once again, if, I, if I'm doing my job right as a pastor, and the Lord comes to you one of these days and says, hey, follow me somewhere else. I hope I can be like John the Baptist and say, alright, I'm behind you. Go for it. Hey, go do what God has told you to do. And I hope I've shown you some things and set a good example for you and that, that it can be a help to you. We're trying, we're trying to lead, but we got it. The way we lead is ultimately by trying to let folks go and serve Christ. Dad, I love my kids to death. And right now, I'm their leader. They're following me. But someday, they need to be able to go out on their own. Someday when Tommy's you know, 35 years old, you know, hopefully he's, I don't have to go and say, hey Tommy, it's about time you uh, get a job. You know, go. Uh, you, know, you need to do a little more than just playing video games every day. Uh, why don't you go start your own family? You know, hey, hopefully I don't have to do that with him. Hopefully he'll go out on his own. And hopefully, ultimately he'll follow Christ. And that may mean Lord might call him, say, follow me to darkest Africa. The Lord might say, hey, you know, one thing I've noticed, there's a verse in the Bible that says, I'm not going to quote this right, but somewhere, something along the lines of, you know, the Lord's not going to come until the gospel be preached in all the world. And you know, I don't know in history of any great revivals or anything ever happening in some of the Muslim countries. And I've often wondered, what if we still need a revival over there? And if we're going to, who in the world is going to start that one off? You know what usually happens with people who start off in new areas as missionaries? They usually start off getting, the first ones usually get killed. That's <laughs> just the way it's kind of been in history. Boy, what if that was my kids that the Lord called to do that? Would I be willing to say, go ahead and follow Him? Or am I going to be like, hey, no, follow me? If we're, we need to be leaders. We need to get people following us. But not forever. We want them following Christ. And the more that we can recruit to follow after Christ, the more that's going to get accomplished. I've said before, you and I can only do so much. Amen. But we can go and get other people to start following Christ. Now, so much more is being accomplished. And that ought to be our goal. So let's all stand together tonight. Heads bowed and eyes closed.